0: We are so glad to have the Reverend Amy Carroll Webb with us today. Um, we are as much at home with her as she is with us. She reports that this congregation feels like coming home. Um, she is serving as minister now to the River of Grass Church in Davie, Florida and is delighted to be a new project, um, which is a book on Unitarian Universalists and the music of justice. She's clearly the one to sing that story. thank you it's also quite fitting that the Langrocks lit the chalice this morning because um, they were the first ones to invite me here after I had been going to Susi for a couple of years y'all know about Susi, right? (laughs) Southeast Unitarian Universalist Summer Institute S-U-U-S-I dot org the uh, catalogs for this summer will be up soon and we would love to see you there it's there that I encountered Unitarian Universalism for the first time. And Debbie invited me to come be the musician for her service shortly after. And I just kept coming back. And it was sitting right there one day when Abby was preaching that I knew that I was a Unitarian Universalist. Now, I didn't know what that really meant down deep, nor did I know what I was going to do with it. But here I am. Here we are. It's your fault. <laughs> and so it is right and fitting that I should have the privilege of being with you today after a week-long gathering out on St. Pete Beach with more than 400 other Unitarian Universalist ministers. It was the UUMA, which is the Unitarian Universalist Ministers Association. Uh, It was the Institute for Excellence in Ministry, and it was excellent. It was fantastic. And so, after a week of this renewal and this rejuvenation, that I should get to speak to you first. After all of that is just blessed. This morning we're gonna consider one of the precious sources of our faith. We're going to consider our humanist source. Our Unitarian Universalist faith draws upon many sources that you and Clearwater have been looking at over this year. Just to review, these are in no particular order. You know, we linear thinkers like to think, well, this is our first source. Nah, really, they sort of come in from all directions. We only know how to write in a straight line at this point. Direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. That's one source. Another is words and deeds of prophetic women and men which challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. The next one is wisdom from the world's religions, which inspire us in our ethical and spiritual life. Another is Jewish and Christian teachings, which call us to respond to God's love by loving our neighbors as ourselves. Another is spiritual teachings of earth-centered traditions, which celebrate the sacred circle of life and instruct us to live in harmony with the rhythms of nature. This morning, we will consider humanist teachings which counsel us to heed the guidance of reason and the results of science and warn us against the idolatries of the mind and the spirit. Now, all of these sources we embrace, and all of them are our teachers, but the one Unitarian Universalist may be associated most in the view of most of the world is our humanist source. When people think of Unitarian Universalism, quite often they think of humanism. As during modern times we have been known as a rational religion. A religion of thinkers, of reasoners, of people who respect science. We've been known as a religion, a faith that places credence in the natural rather than the supernatural and belief in this world, here and now, not some other form, not some other world from some other place in some other time. This rejection of supernaturalism is often that which distinguishes liberal religion from most other Western religions. Now scholars differentiate between two different kinds of religion. On the one hand, we have mythos, and on the other hand, we have logos. Now, mythos, as you might expect, refers to religion based on myths, stories that provide an explanation of why things are as they are to give meaning to our lives as we know it, such as the creation stories in the book of Genesis of the Hebrew Scriptures. By the way, did you realize that there are two creation stories told, one right after the other, and that they are not the same? And yet, down through time, even though they're different, both have come to be taught as absolute truth by scriptural literalists. I don't believe that any of these myths were intended to be taken as literally true. I believe they were intended even in pre-scientific societies to be a metaphorical way to explain our life, tales to explain reality that is too complex, too mysterious to grasp in any other form. So on the one hand, we have the religion of mythos. On the other, we have the religion of logos. Logos is rational religion which most often means religion based on the scientific empirical view of the world, a view that factors in what we discover through science and what we discover through experience. Logos, or rational religion, has its roots in Greek mythology. Even some of those very early reasoning exercises that the Greeks did were really rationalizations of the myths, However, the roots of reasoned thinking were planted then. And that's what we inherit today, especially from a philosopher named Protagoras. Protagoras said, about the gods, I am not able to know whether they exist or do not exist. Myths and stories are not a bad thing. They're important to human life, to cultural life, to creative life, to religious life. Stories help us know who we are and how things work. Stories help us fashion the ineffable facets of human living into something we can better understand. Merely beyond providing a way of comprehending, stories can also teach us moral lessons, which is why the prophets of every age have engaged in stories to admonish and encourage us to walk more morally, more compassionately, more justly in our world. That is to say that a story does not have to be factually accurate to present a higher truth. It need not be literally true. It need not be literally true, little t true, to be big T true. It need not be literally true that some ancient emperor walked through the streets stark naked to understand the story of the emperor's new clothes as a fable about the dangers of self-deception, greed, and groupthink. Let us remember that stories moral storytelling, say that with me, moral (laughs) storytelling, is at the heart of the arts and that it was the humanists of the renaissance who revived Greek and Roman learning and placed humanities, the arts, ethics, grammar, language, poetry, music, at the center of learning. Where we get into trouble is when certain stories, certain myths somehow become hardened into a perception of fact. When someone or some society converts mythos to logos, where there are a number of motivations for doing this. Stories, mythos, can calcify into fact or logos for a lot of reasons. But perhaps the most prominent one is that those telling the stories tell them in order to retain power over others. It was precisely a growing conversion of myth into fact through a theology known as fundamentalism that gave rise to religious humanism in the early 20th century. Western fundamentalism then and now holds that the scriptures were not a collection of stories intended to teach us how better to live, but literal and inerrant truths given by an unseen God. It was then that a Unitarian preacher named John Dietrich openly championed humanism as a counter to rising fundamentalism. He went on to become one of the signers of the first humanist manifesto published in 1933 here in the United States with 34 signers, about half of which were prominent Unitarians. The manifesto was then updated in 1973 and again in 2003, each time urgently calling for an end to racism and poverty, for an end to the sufferings of this world each time insisting on the inherent worth and dignity of every person to live and learn freely and come to understand life through their own experiences here and now. The 2003 Manifesto III is signed by many notable Unitarian Universalists, including the Reverend Kendall Gibbons, who I just saw at the Institute, Sarah Olberg, who was the president of the Unitarian Universalist Humanist, Humanist Association at that time, And John Weston, the poet we shared earlier, who wrote, Out of the Stars We Come. Incidentally, Manifesto 3 was also signed by 21 Nobel laureates. We're in good company, folks. We're in good company just because we came through those doors. But isn't it nice to know where our history reaches back? For out of the stars we come, and also out of those who walked before us. So let us look more closely at our humanist source, which counsels us to heed the guidance of reason and the results of science, and warns us against the idolatries of the mind and spirit. First, we are counseled to heed the guidance of reason. Humanism insists that we explore and doubt and debate and challenge and otherwise bring the powers of analysis and intellectual integrity to bear upon our perceptions of reality. It asks us to test whether any idea is reasonable to believe and whether it is responsible. Humanism dares us to think for ourselves and then double dares us to challenge what we think we know. It dares us to ask questions and keep asking questions, even those whose answers we may never find in our lifetime. Now, this thinking for ourselves can be tricky rather interesting to gather a whole bunch of people into a room all thinking for themselves. Come to think of it, thinking for myself was the root of my eventual discovery of Unitarian Universalism. For even though I was raised in fundamentalism, my parents actually did encourage me to think for myself. Whoops. second. Our Unitarian Universalist humanist source counsels us to heed the results of science. With the rise of the scientific age, the logos of humanism challenged the mythos of other religions in new ways, questioning supernatural religion not only by means of reason and logic, saying that does not make sense to me, but also by scientific method. Okay, let's see what we can prove even if it's not what I thought we were going to find. The best known of these challenges, posed by humanists' faith in science, is Darwin's theory of evolution. Evidence of which counters any literal reading of the Judeo-Christian scriptures to different creation stories, both presented as absolute truth. All of a sudden, humanity was not ejected from a garden paradise, but crawled up out of the sea to see what's going on up here. Science holds that the sea is the mother of all life. Wait a minute. A couple sentences ago, I say, humanists' faith in science? Yep. Because it's only the second meaning of the word faith that it has anything to do with a supernatural deity. The first meaning of faith in Merriam-Webster's dictionary is this the complete trust or confidence in someone or something. So yes, humanism holds a devout faith in science, having arisen as an intentional new religion of reason to counter the existing religions of superstition of its time The sign that we are not done with this process on this planet is we are still having to argue about evolution. (sighs) On the one hand, that can make you feel like a (sighs) hawk. On the other, it can say, let's go. There's another generation to teach. There's a purpose in our time. Now, having taken humanism's counsel to heed the guidance of reason and the results of science, we find an interesting temperance in the third phrase. When it warns us against idolatries of the mind and spirit. I love that phrase. Idolatries of the mind and spirit. There's a whole sermon right there, but that will have to be for next time. For our purposes this morning, let's just note the beauty of this, the daring of this. At the same time, religious humanism elevates the human mind and its processes of reason and analysis and scientific method. It also cautions us against making of our ideas idols. Humanism insists that we think and learn and search and research and discover and then declares that we must not worship what we find because what we find will shift and change and evolve as we go. And likewise, we must dare to shift and change and evolve with it. For his manifesto 3 says humanism continues to develop through the efforts of thoughtful people who recognize that values and ideas however carefully wrought are subject to change as our knowledge and understandings advance so we get the reason portion of our humanist source discussed today as reason, reverence and responsibility Where is the reverence? We prize our reason. What is our reverence? If humanism rejects the supernatural, no deities in the sky or elsewhere holding sway over the universe, but then also admonishes us not to worship our own minds even as we're asked to vigorously use them in our quest for truth and meaning, what does humanism revere? Is anything sacred here? Soon after I wrote that question, I decided it was time to take a break. And being out at St. Pete Beach my beloved and I got up and went for a walk. It was a clear, brisk evening earlier this week. The air was clean and brisk, and smelling of salt. As we walked, I looked up into the deep, dark blue of the sky with the constellations hanging like so many glistening jewels over the water. And I thought of Robert Weston, Out of the stars we have come. Ponder this thing in your heart. Life up from sea. Eyes to behold. Throats to sing. Mates to love. This is the wonder of time. This is the marvel of space. Out of the stars swung the earth. Life upon earth rose This is the reverence of humanism. Reverence for the mysteries of life. For though the diligences of science continue to teach us that, for as much as we learn, there is much we don't. And maybe we never will. Scientists once thought that the smallest particles of the universe were atoms until they discovered electrons and protons. Then they found quarks. And now scientists have uncovered strings, like infinitesimally tiny strings, just like little bits of spaghetti, or they vibrate just like the strings on a guitar or a violin, but at a fantastically high frequency that we cannot hear but yet appears to hold this universe together. And so it seems that science has finally brought us to the place that 800 years ago the ancient Sufi poet Rumi said, when he said, we have come to the place where everything is music. Humanism reveres this music of life in our universe. Unitarian Universalist Reverend David E. Bombau puts it this way humanism with its emphasis on the ongoing search for truth and understanding, with its insistence that revelation is not sealed, with its conviction that all truth is one, with its commitment to truth known or to be known, has a vocabulary of reverence which is drawn from the enlarging exploration of the universe and humanity's place in Even with the increasing intricacies, 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 intricacies. <laughs> <laughs> they made an intricate word hard to say. Intricacies, intricacies. <laughs> I knew my grammar police would help me out here. (laughs) Even with the increasing complexities of... of scientific method and discovery and the ever-increasing need for the rigors of reason to distill our perceived reality into understandable ideas, these powers can only hope to tell us how our universe works. Not why. At least not in any concrete way. Science can tell us that human life evolved over millions of years but not for what purpose it can give us the what and the how in astoundingly intricate detail (laughs) but not the why so at its core May I be so bold as to say. Religious humanism suggests that the why is love. Now lest you think that that oversimplifies the matter, I dare say the very least simple aspect of human life on planet earth is love. Or else we'd have gotten that love your neighbor thing by now. The Reverend Bumbao says humanism is a religious story in that it calls us out of our little local universes and invites us to see ourselves as related to every living thing on the planet. Our humanness source holds that. We evolved through millions of years of earthly life Not for some deity, but for humanity. For the sake of each other, for the sake of the stranger, for the sake of the earth suffering as she is under the weight of all of us. For the sake of the things we understand and the things we don't. For the sake of the process of becoming who we want to be. Who we can be. Who we must be if we are to transform the chaos of this world. Chaos of our own making. Because religious humanism says we are responsible. That we do not await or petition some supernatural force to come look after us or come fix what we have done or to take us away from here altogether so that what we do here doesn't seem to matter or to intercede in the world on our behalf. Humanism says we are the intercessors. We are responsible for what has happened and what is happening. This makes our humanist source an ethical and moral compass. In religious humanism, we do what is right and good because it is right and good. We don't do it for the promise of some future better other place or dread of some future worse other place. We do it because it is the right work to do now. And our immortality is gained not by creed or confession, but in the legacy of our good work right here and right now. Because religious humanism is not an otherworldly faith. It is a thisworldly faith. Many Western religions that we know and that our neighbors follow and bless them for the paths that they find for themselves. But they condemn religious humanism as godless, selfish, and narcissistic. Let me say that at its core, its deepest and most fervent practice, religious humanism, the thing we claim as our source is anything but humanism that we cherish is both guided by reason and inspired by compassion it is informed by experience and grounded in human welfare it is shaped by human circumstance and human need in order to provide comfort in Times of want and encouragement in times of plenty. Often people say that they appreciate Unitarian Universalism because it is a religion that does not ask you to check your mind at the door. My dear ones, Unitarian Universalists of our humanness source pegs us that we not check our hearts at the door either. How blessed, how glorious that life on this earth has evolved, that you and I should be here shoulder to shoulder this morning in reason and in reverence and in responsibility for the journey toward justice that we each seek and that we have undertaken together in this This is the marvel of space. Out of the stars swung the earth, life upon earth rose to love. This is the marvel of life. Rising to see and to know, out of our hearts cry, wonder. We live for out of the stars.